The following sermon podcast is a glimpse into the community of Central Bible Church, where we strive to welcome everyone into Jesus' life. We hope that you can join us for this Sunday service as we gather together seeking to live in and for Christ. Kugelberg household, uh, plants can be a tricky business. And uh, anybody a self-described green thumb in here? No? Do we even know what that means? No? You're good with plants. So if you are, we may have to get your number. Because when we moved into our duplex in the Lentz neighborhood a number of years ago, uh, my wife and I leaned into gardening our first spring. And so we went to Portland Nursery, and I don't know if you've ever been there, but the aisles are wide, and they're beautiful to walk through, and they have layout of what blooms in which season, ideally, and what you want to plant based on the soil that you've got. Our kids were running around like crazy, and because I'm cheap, we then went somewhere less expensive to buy our plants. But we were educated. And so in that process, we picked up dahlias and echinacea and snap peas and other herbs that we would use uh, perhaps in our cooking um, in the summer and in the fall. And as we began to plant them, we, help, we had our kids help with that. And so not to dash their spirits too much, we not only got seeds, but we got some starters, right? Ones that already are, are, have a head start. And uh, we set to watering them, right? And as we were doing that, my wife noticed that the arborvita trees which are in the back of our backyard and kind of provide a living hedge, were not looking altogether lifelike, right? And so I told her uh, that I would include them in the watering regimen and we'd see how things shape up, right? And so a number of weeks and even months later, some of the seeds and, and little starters that we had planted were showing signs of life. And it was great. And the, and the kids rejoiced in that. A little teaching moment, you know, be faithful and God will, you know, all that stuff. But... The Arborvita were not along for the program. And so even though I stepped up and watered them, we still had 11 of our Arborvita which were not cooperating and were very much a lifeless shade of brown. And they remained that way for about two years, right? A couple years later, we built up a renewed vigor for the process of gardening. And so uh, we went to the cheaper gardening store, uh, picked out seven spry-looking arborvita, and uh, came home, were educated with how to plant them and what to do, what not to do. You want to make sure that you have bone meal, all that fun stuff, right? Watered them appropriately. And I'm here to tell you that it's a frustrating business with arborvita trees. Because if you were to look in our backyard today, you would still see 11 dead Arborvita trees. And not only that, but the, but the ones that were doing well are actually now following in suit, right? Are more brown than green. So I, I up front said we need help, right? So that was a genuine plea, right? But you may have not contended with arborvita trees or you may not care what grows in your yard, right? But I think we all know what it feels like to some level to invest in something and then to have it not come to fruition. 
to feel like you have invested in sunk funds and things that are not giving you the return that you had thought, right? And even as we kind of chuckle about it this morning, spending $300 on pathetic shrubs only to see them not bring any fruit is, is pretty frustrating, right? And our psalm that we're going to look at this morning meets us in that place where we ask the question, is it worth it? Will it be worth it? Will I sow even in my tears? If you didn't know, my name is Danny, and I'm one of the pastors here, and it's a joy to be able to share the word with you this morning. But would you pray with me as we open our our Bibles together uh, to hear from the Lord? Dear God, our Father, we thank you for the gift of your word, which is a lamp that goes before us and lights our way. We thank you for what it teaches us about you, God, we pray that you would turn our hearts toward you, that we, through your Spirit, would abide in Christ. Would your faithful work produce glad hearts and obedient hands in us? We love you. Instruct us how, through your Word and Spirit, in the name of Jesus, amen. So as we open the Word, if you're not there yet, you can open up to uh, the book of Psalms, chapter 126. And as Mackenzie mentioned on the front end, this is labeled as a song of ascent. Now, there are 15 song of ascents in the book of Psalms. They're all shoved together between Psalm 120 and Psalm 134. And beyond just kind of a a nice little technical note or something for our our friends at Multnomah to geek out about, right? It's helpful because these are traditionally held both by in in, uh, the Jewish tradition and in Christian tradition as pilgrimage psalms. So as uh, the people of God would travel to the temple, to Jerusalem, these were most likely the songs that they would be singing, labeled as the songs of ascent. My Bible actually says a song for pilgrims ascending to Jerusalem. And so they would do this. They would seasonally visit these as they would come to Passover or the Feast of Booths. And each psalm would remind them, would draw their mind and their hearts and their lips to significant themes that are rooted in their walk with God. It would help to turn their hearts to Yahweh in repentance. They would worship him alone as God who is their hope. It would help them to cry out to God in troubled times. They would ask in these songs for strength to persevere. And in our passage today, Psalm 126, they would remember God's restoration that brings enduring joy and gives birth to faithfulness even in times that are difficult. So we can think about these as songs that would be sung rhythmically and seasonally And each time would remind them of God's covenant faithfulness, right? As we've talked about throughout the series, the idea that the Psalms help to give language to nearly every emotion and season of life that we experience. And as we are in a period where we are waiting on God and listening to one another, we acknowledge both the joys and difficulties that we experience as we prepare our hearts to worship God. Listen to how Psalm 134, the last psalm of of ascent, inclines their heart to worship the Lord as they come together in Jerusalem. 
Come, bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord, who stand by night in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands in the holy place and bless the Lord. May the Lord bless you from Zion, he who made you, he who made heaven and earth. As a community together, they are called to bless the Lord, to come to the temple, to raise their hands and worship. Because these were sung rhythmically, this would help them in specific seasons to remember what God had done for them and to incline their heart to worship Him, right? Seasonal songs. It's beginning to look a lot like Passover, right? Okay? Gotcha. For many of us, the most fitting cultural parallel may be Christmas songs, right? Helps us get ready for the Christmas season. Now, I worked in retail and then the service industry, so I know that it might be a cardinal sin to reference Christmas songs before we're even at Halloween, right? But I think it fits with what we're talking about today. And so I'd like to invite us to a place of transparency on this side of Halloween and stand up where you're at and share a song that you enjoy that helps you get in the Christmas spirit. Not singing, but you can just tell us. What is that song, right? So right there, this is a safe place, okay? (laughs) At least for me, you won't elicit judgment. I can't speak for the rest of us, but a few of us, what are those songs for you? Silent Night. Joy to the World. Oh, Holy Night. Angels We Have Heard on High. Mary, Did You Know? Sleigh Bells Ring, okay? Silver Bells. Ooh. Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, okay? Now, I didn't grow up in a house that pumped Mariah Carey, but does anybody, will you raise your hand and say, all I want for Christmas is you? Yeah, anybody? All right. Again, this is a safe space, right? In our home, there's a couple that come to mind, and there'll be albums, not specific songs, but for us, one of them is Vince Guaraldi's Peanuts Christmas. Love that one, right? Christmas time is here, right, in the song. Or Sufjan Stevens' Songs for Christmas, right? But in all reality, those are songs for us that we put on as we, as we uh, put garland on the tree or we get hot cocoa. And it helps us maybe to feel nostalgic about Christmas has gone by. But there are specific songs that we sing that don't just have a general idea of getting ready for Christmas, but this idea that we celebrate Jesus the Savior King, Emmanuel, God with us, all right? So two of my favorite songs to sing with this community is um, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, and O Holy Night. Interestingly enough, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel would probably fit well thematically in the Psalm of Ascent. I won't sing it now, but let's listen to some of the words. O Come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel, that mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appear. O come, O branch of Jesse's stem, unto your own and rescue them. From depths of hell your people save and give them victory o'er the grave. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. I love that because it, it not only draws our eyes to what he has already done with his people, but also roots their hope 
and what Yahweh has promised to do. That's enough about Christmas. So Psalm 126, our text today, the same way celebrates the goodness and faithfulness of a covenant God with his people and draws on those reserves for hope in thin times. Let's look to our text, Psalm 126, verse 1. When the Lord brought back his exiles to Jerusalem, it was like a dream. We were filled with laughter and we sang for joy. And the other nations said, what amazing things the Lord has done for them. Yes, the Lord has done amazing things for us. What joy. The psalm invites us to sing a song of restoration, celebrating how God has brought back life and vitality to his people. Now this was a crazy divine intervention type work that the restoration of Israel could only have been accomplished by God's hand. And so you hear in the words of the psalmist that he's a bit dumbfounded, right? It's kind of that pinch me, am I dreaming? And it can be easy for us to not have the understanding of the significance for God's people. They, had, they experienced freedom. They had longed for the freedom. They had prayed for the freedom. They had probably almost given up hope that it would be possible. And yet they were in a place where they experienced the restoration of God. Just so we have an understanding of the pain and difficulty, I'm going to read a hymn that's hard to read even today. And it's Psalm 137. Listen to how the psalmist laments at the realities of living in captivity far from the people of God and the place of God in Jerusalem. Psalm 137.1. Beside the rivers of Babylon we sat and wept as we thought of Jerusalem. We put away our harps, hanging, up, hanging them up on branches of poplar trees. For our captors demanded a song from us. Our tormentors insisted on a joyful hymn. Sing one of those songs of Jerusalem. But how can we sing the songs of the Lord while in a pagan land? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget how to play the harp. May my tongue stick to the roof of my mouth if I fail to remember you, if I don't make Jerusalem my greatest joy. O Lord, remember what the Edomites did on the day the armies of Babylon captured Jerusalem. Destroy it, they yelled. Level it to the ground. And then it gets straight up imprecatory. O Babylon, you will be destroyed. Happy is the one who pays you back for what you have done to us. Happy is the one who takes your babies and smashes them against the rocks. That is like capital L, lament. And it is prayed by a people who weep over what had been and what was now their reality. Their songs of praise have been relegated to a place of mockery and entertainment for their captor's delight. And there is a very real danger in forgetting what it's like to experience the blessings of, and provisions of God in the land of promise. Seeing the pain of their exile helps us understand why Jerusalem's restoration would be so dumbfounding. It's so foreign that it feels like a fantasy Verse 1, when the Lord brought back his exiles to Jerusalem, it was like a dream. We were filled with laughter and we sang for joy. They couldn't help but respond with unbridled joy and laughter. 
Out of the pain of exile, they came to Jerusalem with renewed hope and appreciation of God's restoration. If you have the opportunity to carpool with my family, specifically with my kids in the car, you will most likely sing with us, right? It's just how we roll. It's not always pretty, but it is definitely passionate. There's a lot of verve. And one of my son's favorite songs to sing is an old one, right? It's written actually by Hank Williams. He prefers the version that's recorded by David Crowder, but he loves it. I saw the light, right? You know that song? What's the core? What's the verse? I wandered so aimless, a life filled with sin. I wouldn't let my dear Savior in. Then Jesus came like a stranger in the night. Praise the Lord, I saw the light. All right, everybody saying, I saw the light, I saw the light. No more darkness, no more night. Now I'm so happy, no sorrow inside. Praise the Lord, I saw the light. You can take the guitar away from the worship pastor, but you can't. <laughs> See, when we understand the weight of our sin, we celebrate God's rescue more boldly. Tim Keller, a longtime pastor in Manhattan, distills the heart of the gospel in one pretty potent sentence. Listen to what he says. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dare believe. Yet at the same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus than we ever dared hope. When we recognize how bad the bad news is, we celebrate the good news even more boldly. The problem is, if we're not careful, we can over time begin to stop marveling at the beauty of the gospel because we forget what it is that God has rescued and is rescuing us from. When I first met my wife, Sarah, she was 21 years old, and she had just recently met Jesus. Her coming to Jesus' birthday is actually Halloween 18 years ago. So, And her enthusiasm about God and his kingdom was crazy, like light up a small city wild. And she had so many questions about the gospel and the Bible and about why church functioned the way it, it did. And we still are asking that same question in some cases. <laughs> but she looked for active ways to serve Jesus, right? That's why she was so stoked when we got mugs here because her first volunteer job was the mug lady, right? And so she'd hand out mugs to new people filled with chocolate, right? Not a bad idea. She also, on her own initiative, picked up trash around the church because she wanted it to be an inviting place for people to come into and worship God. And she also printed her own, or painted, because she's a, a painter, painted her own business cards, and she handed them out at local bars and restaurants because she wanted to provide rides safely to people that had been drinking and shouldn't be driving so that she could share with them their story, or her story, and then hear their story and how it connects to Jesus who loves them, right? I mean, she was just on fire, crazy for Jesus. But when I looked at, at her passion and her verve compared with mine, it looked more like apathy, right? And as we developed a friendship, I was able to appreciate anew the radical nature of the gospel. And it rekindled my gratitude for Christ's work of restoration in my life. It's a joy for us as a church to get to do that same thing. As a redeemed people at Central Bible Church, as we welcome men and women into Jesus' life, as we party together at their baptisms, as we experience uh, re deepening relationships through community groups. 
We are so grateful to see the joy that God brings to a community through those that are coming to faith. Importantly, when we respond in joy to God's work, it serves as a witness to others and to our community as well, right? If we look at our passage, we see God's work plus Israel's response equals Yahweh's glory. And the nation said, what amazing things the Lord has done for them. Yes, the Lord has done amazing things for us. What joy. Who's the subject in that sentence? God is. God is the one who acts on the behalf of his people. And we get to be the recipients of his goodness. God's God's faithfulness, which produces joy, serves as a gospel witness to those who don't yet know Christ. They don't know him, but they know people who do. They aren't just acknowledging that things are looking up for Israel, right? It doesn't say in that sentence, what amazing things Israel has done for themselves. They finally got their act together. No. What amazing things the Lord has done for them. Those are pagan nations who do not believe in or worship Yahweh, attributing the fact that a nation who was dispersed, who was in exile, was brought together by a divine work of the Lord. Do we understand that our response to God's work serves as a witness to a watching world? If we lose the ability as believers to recognize his work in our lives and the lives of our community, then we will not be people who marvel at his goodness. Verse 3, the Lord has done amazing things for us. What joy. One of the most prevalent themes that we see not only through the Songs of Ascent but throughout the Psalms entirely is God's covenant relationship with his people. And importantly, both the praises that we read and the laments that we hear flow out of the context of the covenant relationship between God and Israel. They praise him for his goodness. They call out to him for his promises to be faithful as he has been before. Today, we have been redeemed from death to life through Christ. We should be well acquainted with celebrating. Andrew Zellers is convinced that Jesus' church should throw the best parties, right? And not just for show. We have been redeemed, brought from death to life. We love much because we have been forgiven a debt that we cannot repay. Listen to how the psalmist phrase it, Psalm 92. It is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name most high, to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night. For you, O Lord, have made me glad by your work, and at the works of your hands I sing for joy. The Psalms call our heart to worship alongside those first pilgrims. But here's where it gets interesting. As we meditate on the song of ascent, we recognize that the psalm looks back to a time of restoration and points our eyes to a future harvest. But where are we worshiping from? A place of grief, our tears, a place that is dry. Yet as we grieve, we know that we do so not as those who have no hope. 
And Psalm 126 is Eugene Peterson is meditating on it and his book, A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. Listen to what he says. Joy is nurtured by anticipation. If the joy-producing acts of God are characteristic of our past as God's people, they will also be characteristic of our future as his people. What we have known of him, we will know of him. Just as joy builds on the past, it borrows from the future. It expects certain things to happen. Christian joy is not an escape from sorrow. Pain and hardship still come, but they are unable to drive out the joy of the redeemed. Here the the people of God in our psalm are crying out for restoration. They remember back to the rarefied air when they experienced renewed freedom from exile, and yet now they find themselves in a land thirsty without water. Restore our fortunes, O Lord. Restore our well-being as streams renew the desert. Your Bible may also translate the word desert as negev, right? That would be a more literal interpretation of the original. But it speaks to a region whose name literally means dry or parched. And I don't mean literally in the millennial literal way. I mean it literally, literally, dry or parched, right? And that's not language that we're familiar with over this weekend or generally in in the region that we're in, right? My wife and I were coming back uh, from date night last night, and it was straight up torrential, right? But the Negev was an arid climate, and it was desolate, and it was largely uninhabited. But... When it received seasonal rains, it could blossom and sustain life. That's what it speaks about. Just this weekend, I was watching a Planet Earth series with my kids, right? And as I think about that, one of my favorites is whenever they use kind of that time-lapse photography, right? Where they show an area that's been barren, and then through the miracle of like putting a lot of frames together in a way that I don't fully understand, uh, we're able to see in quick form how... Life is sustained from places that were parched. And through the cracked soil, when nurtured, seeds that were dormant spring up. It's a life-giving image. That's the kind of renewal that God's people are crying out for. We know that he's brought refreshment before, and so we call on him to ask for it again. As we've already talked about, We had the opportunity to worship God and to pray and seek him together this last Friday. It was awesome. I just got to come and sing and color with my kids. But one of the refrains that we sang from a John Mark McMillan tune that was over and over in my head and I left with was just that encouragement to harbor me in the eye of the storm. I'm holding on to the love that you swore. Your promise, your word, O Lord, gives me hope. And I cling to that. I need to cling to that. And it says elsewhere in the song, I know that I need you, but sometimes I know it more. This is that time that we are crying out to God as we weep. And so in times when resources and hope wane, we lean into the promises of God, his character, and we trust him to be faithful. As I was sitting and talking with my wife about Psalm 126, she paused for a minute. She's usually more thoughtful than I am. I think and I talk until something sticks. She's a little more purposeful with her words. And she said this. Expectant hope is like spring. We know it will come, but it may be a long winter. And here's the important part. 
just because we have experienced the renewal of the Lord doesn't mean that grief won't circle back around. The problem is that we often look for unhealthy ways to deaden the pain. How many of you guys watch TED Talks or know even what that is, right? It's a thing. There's also a place called YouTube where you can watch them. But if you're familiar with that, those circles, there's a gal whose name is Brene Brown, um, and she's an author and researcher and has a lot of very interesting things to say. And I want to read a small section from her book, Rising Strong. And I'm going to tell you, it is not going to be pleasant, but it is genuinely helpful. She says this, For many of us, the first response to hurt is not to lean into the discomfort and feel our way through, but to make it go away. We do that by numbing the pain with whatever provides the quickest relief. We take the edge off emotional pain with a whole bunch of stuff, including alcohol, drugs, food, sex, relationships, money, work, etc. And then there's always staying busy, living so hard and fast that the truth of our lives can't catch up with us. We fill every ounce of white space with something till there's no room or time for emotion to make itself known. Here's the stinger. No matter what we use, we can't selectively numb emotions. When we numb the dark, we also numb the light. Psalm 126 has its feet firmly set in grief and yet draws on the memory of joyous times as fuel to continue in obedience. As some of my friends who are in recovery will remind me and us, we need to come to accept our hardships as a pathway to peace. Instead of reaching for something to numb our pain, we walk with God through it. Two things. Grief doesn't invalidate our joy. And two, Christian joy doesn't require us to pretend that our grief really isn't there. Those are two errors I think we make. The gospel invites us to lean into both grief and joy. Verse 4, restore our fortunes, Lord, as streams renew the desert. Those who plant in tears will harvest with shouts of joy. They weep as they go out and plant their seed, but they, they sing as they return to the harvest. In grief, may we continue in obedience, knowing God is faithful and he will bring about his harvest through his people in his time. This psalm is probably familiar to us because this is one of the song of ascents that we sing as a people, right? Although we are weeping, Lord, help us keep sowing the seeds of your kingdom. For the day you will reap them, your sheaves we will carry. Lord, please do not tarry. All those who sow weeping will go out with songs of joy. Hmm. Rather than trying to numb the pain, or to avoid it, we pray these words as we sing them to help us in grief, to continue in obedience while maintaining hope, which is rooted not in ourselves, but in the goodness of God. It's hard to plant while weeping. Grief can be exhausting. 
It's easier to close the blinds and want to climb into bed or to look for a way to distract ourselves, to be busy, talk about other things. But the pursuit of joy for those of us that are in Christ is not by bypassing the pain, but is rather through it. Listen to the words of David as he's confronted with his sin. He cries out to God for forgiveness with a broken spirit and a contrite heart as he seeks reconciliation. Psalm 51 writes this, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. The Apostle Paul understands our likelihood to become fatigued in difficulty. And he encourages our hearts in Galatians not to become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. But if we look at that verse in context, he qualifies that the harvest is kingdom fruit and not temporary treasure. The one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. The Spirit also brings, along with joy, the other fruits, love, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. The hard piece comes in that as we sow faithfully, it may never bring about the fruit that we expect, that we think there should be. And yet, don't be mistaken, it always brings the harvest that the Lord intends. So if we sit this morning in a place where we feel apathy, in our attempt to bypass the pain, perhaps we've tried to numb ourselves to the point where we feel nothing. Let's cry out to him in the language that his word gives us. God, would you renew a steadfast spirit within me? Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. God, help us not to become weary in doing good, but to faithfully sow as we trust you for the harvest. Psalm 126 reminds us of God's abundant provision for us and his harvest, which is to come even as we toil in the valley. In a culture where I'm just not feeling it is a common retort or a reason for disengaging. Jesus gives us the fortitude to press on even through tears. But we shouldn't pretend, we can't pretend that the hurt isn't there. But we also don't point as our pain for the reason for unplugging. And so if you sit in a place of sustained grief or pain today, you don't have to walk by yourself. In the body of Christ, you have others that walk with you. So instead of ignoring the pain or bearing it alone, talk and pray with someone. Share with someone in your community group. Pull a pastor aside and share about what you're walking through. We're commanded to be a group of people who bears one another's burdens as we walk with Jesus. James, who's writing to the people of God who are scattered among the nations, invites us to persevere in hope, expectant hope. Here's what he says. Be patient brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too, 
Be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against one another's. One another's? One another, brothers and sisters, or you'll be judged. The judge is standing at your door. Brothers and sisters, an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy in James 5. Patience is a word that has fallen out of vogue in our culture. Maybe we can be patient long enough for the cookies to come out of the oven, but if we're suffering, we just want something for the pain. And I need the words of James because I'm likely to be impatient and fickle and grumble with you guys in the face of suffering. Sowing in tears is difficult. Jesus knows that, and yet he invites us to the place where we continue to sow for abundant life. His words in John 12. Jesus replied, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly I tell you that unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. As people abiding in Christ, we need to be patient, and we need to stand firm as we wait on the Lord, knowing him to be one who is full of compassion and mercy. So let's press on together in faithfulness as we press in to God who is faithful. Amen? In closing, share an experience with you. Every Tuesday, Pastor Andrew and I, Pastor Kendra, we get to hang out with the Tuesday AM Bible study crew. And if you didn't know, cat's out of the bag, that Bible study is filled with a majority of seasoned saints, right? Which is a nice way of saying people that have been along a lot further than many of us and who have been following Jesus for longer, certainly, than I have been alive. And as we sit with them and talk with them over coffee and delicious cookies that they bake, we hear them reflect on the Word of God and their walk with Jesus. And we see men and women who have, to use words that we're describing the disciples, been with Jesus. They have a faith that Peter would say has been refined through seasons of trial and proven to be the genuine article. Our, test, our church needs the testimony of men and women who have been following Jesus for decades, 20, 30, 40, some even 50 years. For young bucks like me, it's helpful because we hear in your story and we see in your countenance that Jesus is steadfast and abiding in him is not only possible, but the most worth it thing that we can endeavor to do. I pray that Peter's words would be true of you and would be true of the rest of us who are a little less along in the journey. 1 Peter 1.8, though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy, for you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. May we be a church who joyfully celebrates God's faithfulness to us and in hardships sows in faithfulness as we expect his harvest. I'm going to end by reading 
our passage again and praying it for us. It'll be up on the screen as well. It seemed like a dream, too good to be true. When God returned Zion's exiles, we laughed and we sang and we couldn't believe our good fortune. We were the talk of the nations. God was wonderful to them. God was wonderful to us. We are one happy people. And now, God, do it again. Bring rain to our drought-stricken lives so those who planted their crops in despair will shout hurrahs at the harvest. So those who went off with heavy hearts will come home laughing with armloads of blessing. Amen. We desire to be formed by the Word of God in community. If you have questions about this week's sermon, we would love to hear from you. For more information about our church, please visit centralbible.church.